This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17, Episode 20. This is Writing Excuses, the first episode of our new masterclass about ensemble casts. This episode is the basics of ensemble characterization. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Zoraida. I'm Kayla. And I'm Howard. We are very excited to have Zoraida Cordova with us. Um, Kayla Rivera is also on the show, and you've uh, heard from her before in one of our previous master classes. Uh, Zoraida, tell us about yourself. Hello, I'm Zoraida Cordova, and I am the author of several young adult, adult and romance novels. Uh, I predominantly write YA fantasy. Uh, I have the series, the Brooklyn Bruja series. My latest adult novel is The Inheritance of Arcadia Divina, which is more magical realism. Um, I'm trying not to write the same thing twice, but you never know. Um, and I also write for Star Wars. Cool. Well, we're very excited to have you. Uh, you're kind of the, the leader of this class uh, about ensemble casts. So let me ask the very first question. What is an ensemble? Lots of stories have more than one character. What makes it an ensemble specifically? The thing that makes it an ensemble to me is everyone sort of has their own weight. The story couldn't function the same without every single one of these characters. Um and sometimes it's emotional weight. Sometimes it's a physical presence. Um, I like to think of things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Friends. And I'm just using those as, you know, big shows mm-hmm. that people already, you know, are familiar with. Um, every single person almost matters in those in those stories. Um, and they play a part. Um, there's really interesting dynamics. Obviously, the Avengers uh <laughs> movies are big ensemble casts um but when it comes to books um it's almost harder to uh to navigate those waters because uh the text has to do so much work than than the visual um so that's what an ensemble cast is to me yeah um and so like orchidia divina your book i think has a really great ensemble cast because it's specifically about a family and eventually mm-hmm. narrows in very tightly on three of those characters. Uh, but you could not tell that story without discussing everyone and how they relate to each other and, and kind of letting them bounce off of each other. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> I think one of the hallmarks of um, the hallmark, uh, the, the flag that goes up that says, oh, oh, this is actually a book about an ensemble is when you have multiple POVs, but you didn't switch POV because they were in different places. You just switched POV because this other character needs, you know, what the way they are perceiving what the group is doing is what is moving the story forward right now. Um, it's, uh, I mean, that's not, that's not hard and fast, but anytime I see that, I expect, oh, oh, th- this is an ensemble. Um, the, uh, the powder mage books by Brian McClellan 
he introduces, I think, three POVs in uh, the first three chapters, but all three of those people are in completely different locations, and it doesn't read like an ensemble book. And I'm not knocking it. I, I loved the Powder Mage series, but uh, just because there's lots of POVs doesn't mean you're writing an ensemble. Yeah, there's a difference between telling multiple stories under the umbrella of a single book and telling a story that has a lot of important characters in it. So if someone is writing or wants to write about an ensemble cast, uh, where do they start? Uh, what are some important consider considerations for doing the characterization? I think it's important to look at the the protagonist protagonist. And I always call, I, I call my my, my hero that, or my heroine that, um, because sometimes even though you have a group of people, they're still a leader. Um, and it, 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 to me, they shape the relationship between themselves and everybody else. Um, and that is the beginning of characterization when I start writing a book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've, you've got the pro pro tag and, and then all the amateur <laughs> pro tags. Um, I, uh, the co pro uh, tags. I, um, the protagonists. I think of the, uh, I mean, we've mentioned, uh, mentioned the Avengers film, um, analyzing that, uh, the first Avengers movie, analyzing it is a lot of fun because part of what makes it work is the realization that, uh, this is kind of Tony's journey. Everybody has brilliant character moments and it's great fun all the way through, but you begin picking it apart and you realize, oh, Loki picked the top of Tony's tower, which is where, you know, Tony got dragged into this, uh, you know, when, um, what's his name? Phil Colson. He has a name <laughs> and he was dating a cellist. He's a real person. Um, and Phil shows up um, and, uh, and, and Tony's the one at the end who does the thing that, uh, that Captain America said he wouldn't do, you know, jumps on the grenade for everybody else. And so, and that thread, that is not a strong thread throughout the film but nobody else has a stronger thread. And so Tony's our pro protag and everybody else is just one step, one step below that. And that's a useful, for me, that's a super useful consideration. Yeah. Um, another example that is coming to mind is Star Trek. Most of the Star Trek series are very strong ensemble casts in next generation, uh, you know, Picard, if anything, is our protagonist protagonist. He's the one that is kind of at the center of a lot of the stories. But we get to know everyone on the bridge, everyone in other parts. Uh, you know, they play poker together. They do sports and other games together. They uh, The stories are not about just a thing happening, but how does this group of people respond to the thing happening? Compare that to Star Trek Discovery, which is very specifically about Michael Burnham. The first few seasons, most of the characters in the show didn't even have names. Uh, it was Michael, it was Saru, 
uh, a handful of others, and then a bunch of nameless nobodies on the bridge because it was not an ensemble show. It was the Michael Burnham show. Uh, and so the same kind of story, but told in, in two very different ways. I think one of the things that distinguishes a protagonist protagonist for me is the fact that like, you know, they're the most essential in that, like all of the ensemble are important, but it's like all of them are sort of threaded through the protagonist protagonist journey. Like they all have touch points in there. Uh, and I'll, as an example, you'll have to forgive me. I'm a middle grade writer. So cartoons are the first thing I think of when I think of media. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I loved Hey Arnold growing up. And if you yes. look at Hey Arnold, yes, thank you. <laughs> hey Arnold was so good growing up. Um, still watch it. <laughs> uh, and like Hey Arnold, Arnold is the key character. He's the protagonist protagonist. But at the same time, throughout like the several seasons it got, he only has like four episodes really that are focused solely on him. Most of them are like people have touch points with Arnold that is about Arnold's heart like his heart his themes his character journey as a person um but they thread in through arnold's experience and he becomes an important touch point for them on their character journey so i think that that's an important part i mean while we're talking about cartoons for me it was sailor moon (laughs) yes Uh, that, you know, I, I, sometimes when people ask me like, why are you like this? And I'm like, I feel like a combination of Sailor Moon and Gargoyles. Uh, (laughs) those were the, the touch points for me as, as a creator. And I feel like, you know, Sailor Moon is a story of these girls fighting against evil, fighting for love and goodness in the world, right? They're the guardians of love. Um, and, and one of the things that separate them for me is, uh, without, her group without the other Sailor Scouts or Sailor Senshi, Sailor Moon is just a girl by herself. Um, but with them, this group together, they're, you know, uh, the dynamics of the group change as she finds each one um, and the story progresses. Yeah. Let's pause here, do our book of the week. Uh, And this week, that is uh, Valentina Salazar is not a monster hunter. Sarita, can you tell us about that one? Yes. Speaking of ensemble cast, Valentina Salazar is not a monster hunter is my second middle grade novel. It comes out on June 28th of this year. And it is about a young girl named Valentina Salazar, who is a monster protector, but her family is descended from a long line of monster hunters. Uh, After her dad dies, her family gets landlocked. They no longer travel around the country saving monsters. Instead, they're just living in upstate New York. And one day she finds a viral video of a very, very rare monster egg. She convinces her siblings to steal the van called The Scourge of land and sea and uh they take the van and they go in search of this 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 monster egg before the the hunters get hold of it um and so it's about family and uh not all monsters look monstrous um and that comes out this summer so i'm very excited awesome yeah that that one will be out end of june uh so you can go and pre-order it right now which we strongly encourage you to do Uh, And again, that is Valentina Salazar is not a monster hunter by Zoraida Cordova. So let's get back into a couple more questions about what an ensemble is and how it works. Future weeks, we'll talk more about how to do all of this. 
Uh, but I do want to ask kind of a crunchy question. Um, when, when you are working with an ensemble cast, you know, we know that the protagonist protagonist is kind of, uh, they're the, the lead of the ensemble, so to speak. But every part, every other character in there is important. Um, why, why does the story require all of those extra people? Why can't the story or the main character function without that ensemble behind them? I think answering that question is what separates it from an ensemble and then just a singular journey, right? Then just a journey of one person and the people that assist them along the way. Um, I'm, I'm going to state the super unpopular opinion that I have, uh, <laughs> which is that I loved the Hobbit movies because, <laughs> because they took they took a story that made the dwarves just faceless, short, angry dudes with beards. <laughs> that I, I'm a faceless, short, angry dude with a beard. <laughs> I'm sorry. I want to be a person. And it turned them all into people and it created it created an ensemble. Now we could argue until you know the the rock trolls come home about whether <laughs> they created an effective ensemble. <laughs> But for me, for me, it worked. And that was that for me, that was the principal difference. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, um, well, Tolkien was able to tell that story in one little novel. Why did you need three movies? Because we wanted to tell the story. Peter Jackson wanted to tell the story in a way that turned all of these into people. Um, and honestly, when you're making a movie and you have a dozen people on the screen and they're just all spear carriers. That's a waste of camera angles. That's, <laughs> you know, you can, you can throw those people away easily in a short story, in a, in a novella, in a, a novel. Um, but if you're trying to build something where we actually look at the characters, um, we have to justify We have to justify their existence. Absolutely. So we're going to get into that a little more in future episodes. We'll talk more about how to do this, how to make the characters unique, how to establish your ensemble. But for now, we want to give you some homework, okay? Uh, and this, we're going to look at your main character, at your protagonist, protagonist. And we want you to free write just a little short thing in which they are applying the job to, applying for the job of being the protagonist of your book. Uh, they get to talk about why they are going to be good at overcoming the challenges, why they're going to be bad and therefore interesting at overcoming the challenges. Whatever it is you want to do, just free write that. Get a sense of who that person is. Hey, what's this blank spot on your resume? Oh, that's <laughs> that's when I was one of the dwarves in The Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wasn't really then. employed. <laughs> <laughs> this is writing excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. Put the go in Go Write at one of the Writing Excuses 2022 retreats in Capitol Reef National Park in Utah and aboard the Liberty of the Seas in the Western Caribbean. Go to writingexcusesretreat.com for more info. Writing Excuses is a Dragon Steel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, 
Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.